Hey everyone, Dr. Pat and I would personally like to invite you to join us in our Grow My Baby program. This is week-by-week pregnancy and birth information developed from our experience of helping more than 4,000 women grow and birth their babies. All our links are on our website, growmybaby.com.au. If you're trying to get pregnant or you are pregnant and you feel a little bit overwhelmed by all you need to know, then this is the right podcast for you. Welcome to the show. I'm Bridget Maloney. And I'm obstetrician Dr. Patrick Maloney. And this is The Kick, your expert-led podcast that delivers the essentials of growing a baby. Make sure you head to our website, growmybaby.com.au, to get some awesome free tools like our Pregnancy Knowledge Checker to help you feel like you got this. Well, welcome everyone. This is episode 21 to a much anticipated episode, isn't it, Pat? Yes, yeah, so I'm excited about this one. We're talking about twins. Twin pregnancy. So, um, but before we get on to that, Patty, I just wanted to actually talk about some of the testimonies that we've been getting on our podcast and they're coming through either on the podcast or through DMs or through emails and we just love reading them. Yeah, so it's brilliant to hear from people, isn't it? It's fantastic. So I'm going to read this one from Katie. Hi guys, just wanted to say that I love your podcast so much. This is my first pregnancy and I've been loving listening to the great advice on your podcast. It is my favourite and has been really helpful. I like being anyone's favourite. Isn't that fantastic? (laughs) We don't even know that person. Yeah, I know. This is good. (laughs) Um, This is from Leah. I've been listening to your podcast in the States. Awesome. It's great. Thank you. Maybe one more? Yeah. Yeah, one more. Okay. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. Okay. This is from Claire. Hi, Dr. Pat and Bridget. Just wanted to say thank you both so much for your wonderful, informative podcast. Because of your podcast, I recently had a prepare screening test. Luckily, I was low risk for everything, but it's still such good peace of mind. Isn't that fantastic? That's someone who's listened to our uh, What Do We Wish Everyone Knew Before They Got Started Yeah, and I think uh, that's episode. episode two, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, keep them coming, and uh, we just love reading them out. So thank you for all your feedback. So on with the show. Before knowing you, Patty, and delving deeper into this baby world that we're in, the yeah. most I used to think about twins was wrangling toddler twins. Yeah, well, I think that would be one of the hardest bits. Yeah, and I think maybe at each ultrasound, that very first ultrasound, I used to say, oh, my gosh, if I hear two heartbeats, I think I might just cry the whole pregnancy. Yeah, well, <laughs> I think that that happens. We Sometimes someone will come for an early ultrasound and we'll diagnose twins, and it's kind of good news and bad. All right. So, Pat, it's a bit confusing and it's confusing for me. So maybe we could get some definitions first. So firstly, how do twins even happen? Yeah, well, this is interesting because there's there's sort of two different ways that twins can come about. And I guess the most common way is if a woman just um, ovulates twice in, in one month so that there's two eggs produced and they're fertilized and we wind up with um, two, you know, genetically different fetuses growing. And most of those twin pregnancies, that's the kind of the, the type we want. They're the relatively straightforward to manage from a medical point of view because in many ways they, they work like two discrete pregnancies that just so happen to be occurring side by side in the, in the one woman. 
and interactions between the two pregnancies are not very common. Major complications are not very common. And apart from coming a little bit early, those twin pregnancies tend to turn out fine. And have we got a name for that? Yeah, that's called dizygotic twins. And most of them have a type of plumbing in the twins called DCDA, which means dichoriotic, diamniotic. And, and that means that each twin has its own inner and outer sac. So they behave very much like two singleton pregnancies that just happen to be happening at the same time. So what happens to the woman? Is she then double the size when she's growing the twins? Yeah, not quite double the size, but pretty big. Mm. And uh, one of the many reasons why they might come early is that the uterus can only get so big and eventually the waters will break and the woman will come into labour. Yeah, so it's the pressure of the size of the uterus growing that perhaps would cause the waters to break, is yeah, that Yeah, um, yeah, uterus can only get so big and eventually one of the, one of the, um, one of the sacs will break. Just like a balloon, right? A bit like a balloon. <laughs> so there are other complications that can happen, even in that good type of DCDA twins, mostly related to complications of the babies, like um, problems with growth. And sometimes related to more maternal complications like a much higher risk of things like pregnancy diabetes and high blood pressure and preeclampsia and sometimes those things get in the way and, and the babies come early because we make them come early. Right. We'll talk in more depth in a minute about the complications sure. because there's a couple of other different types of twins, isn't it? Is that also fraternal twins? Yeah, that's what, that's called fraternal twins, okay. yeah, what we just discussed. And then there's the other type of twins which come from uh, one egg that splits apart. So one egg is produced, the sperm fertilises the egg, the pregnancy starts growing and then splits apart. And those pregnancies are much more complicated and how complicated they are depends on how late the splitting apart happens. So if the splitting apart happens right at the very start, then they're a bit like fraternal twins. They're genetically identical, but in terms of the medical progress of that pregnancy, they're DCDA and they have minimal complications. Split apart a little bit later and they, and they have shared circulation and the shared circulation can lead to something called discordant growth where one's much bigger than the other or one is hogging more than its fair share of the placental output at the expense of the other one and a rarer thing called twin-to-twin transfusion syndrome where one twin is really hogging major part of the blood supply from the other. One gets really big and fat and the other one gets too small and too skinny. And as an, as a, I don't know, is it a sonographer? When do they, how do you know what time that egg splits? Uh, well, you can look at the sacs on a first trimester ultrasound and there's some ultrasound clues as to exactly what type of twins they are. If they're DCDA, they've both got their own inner and outer sacs. Then between each baby, there's four membranes, the inner, outer, and then outer, inner. Yeah. So that looks thicker on ultrasound and you can see that. Yeah. So usually in the first trimester ultrasound, they can tell us um, exactly what type of twin pregnancy it is. And therefore, as obstetrician, we can put together a plan for that woman based on expected complexity. Yeah, wow. Okay. So if we get back to a moment to those ones that split apart, if the splitting apart happens a bit later again, then you get a rare type of twins where they're in the same sac together. Wow. Like they're floating around next to each other and there's no membrane between them. 
And that's a very complicated type of twins called monoamniotic twins. And the complexity of that one is that they can get tied up in each other's cord. In fact, they always do. Yeah, right. So those twin, that type of twins will, will be electively delivered very early mm. because they're better off being premature than tied up in each other's cords, causing a stillbirth situation for one or both babies. Mm. And then the latest they split apart, if they split apart very late, that's conjoined twins. Yeah, right. Yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm just like, my brain's just going pop, pop, pop. It's so fascinating, isn't it? Yeah, it, it is fascinating. And, and a lot of, you know, when we, when we think about twin pregnancies as obstetricians, it reminds us of just how much is going on in that mm. first week of post-conception life. Mm. Um, and I'm a bit confused. Say with things such as, do they share a placenta or does that depend again on whether it's a fraternal or identical? Yeah, so it depends on what I call the plumbing, okay, yeah. how, how, how they're, how they're plumbed. And, and, you know, the good part about DCDA twins is that there's basically two placentas working independently. Yeah. Um, and uh, whilst you know, any sort of pregnancy complication could happen, it does doesn't happen hugely more commonly than it does for singleton pregnancies. Yeah. But in a shared placental situation, complications in, involving one baby being significantly bigger than the other are pretty common. Mm. I always say to my patients with twins, I have to work harder to get the same outcomes for you and your babies as I would have to if, if you just had a singleton baby on mm. board. Um, so we're trying to get the results for twins to be as good as the results for women having one baby at a time. Mm. And we're not quite there, but even to get close, we have to work a lot harder. There's more tests, there's more uh, reviews, there's more surveillance, and there's more interfering. Mm. Yeah, because yeah, I, I don't know, we see the end result. Well, I see the end result and there's you know, happy little twins running around, but, you know, what's gone on before that to get those twins to be, you know, toddlers that are happy and healthy, that's that's a lot of work for everybody. Yeah, it's, it? actually, it's actually a fair bit. And a degree of prematurity is, is very common. Mm. And uh, so, you know, our friends at the Two Ps in a podcast, which we'll be talking a bit more about. Yeah, keep about listening. Later on. We've got we've got a little special treat for everybody later on. It's a fantastic podcast of, of mothers of twins. So, you know, they make the point in the recording they did for us just about. Oh, you just gave it away. <laughs> oh, sorry, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> surprise! Surprise! They make the point that uh, you have to. Um, you know, it, it involves a degree of accepting that things may not go exactly according to your dream plan mm. with a with a twin pregnancy, and to be prepared for the very real possibility of those babies coming early. Mm. Oh, absolutely. So, one thing that I thought might be useful for everybody is to find out how common twins are. So the latest stats from the Australian Bureau of Statistics said that there's 4,291 sets of twins, which represents about 1.4% of all births. Yeah, and that's to be expected. So we, we know that twins occur naturally at a rate of about 1 in 80. Yep. So 1.4% is going to be about 1 in 80. And it's a little higher sometimes than, than what we would expect to see naturally. And that's because there's two factors at work these days that increase the twinning rate. One is IVF pregnancies. Mm -hmm. Quite a lot of babies these days are born from IVF and, and IVF pregnancies are more likely to be twins. In the early days of IVF, they used to put two embryos back in. Yeah, just to hope for the best, wasn't it? Well, just to, to make get... it work more often. Yeah. yeah. And that was a reasonable idea, but it did result in an awful lot of twin pregnancies. Mm. So um, Australia eventually started leading the way in single embryo transfers, mm. so just putting one in at a time. 
And even if you do that, a single embryo transferred at IVF is slightly more likely to split apart than a naturally conceived embryo. So even with all the care and attention, there's still a higher twinning rate from IVF. And then the other factor that makes you more likely to have twins other than family history is the mother's age. Mm. So as the age of the average pregnant woman goes up in Australia, the twin rate's going up as well. Mm. This might be a question you can't answer, but so for people where they do have twins in the family and they say that it skips a generation, is this just old uh, an old myth or is that true? Yeah, it doesn't reliably skip a generation. It might appear to, yeah. but it doesn't work like that. But there is a genetic predisposition to uh, to twins that can run through a woman's family. Can it be any sort of twin or is it more that you'd have fraternal or identical twins? Uh, I think it's any sort. Yeah, right. Yeah. Okay. You've just got splitting eggs or double ovulation. Yeah, I think it's a tendency towards double ovulation. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So I know in a couple of our podcasts, we've actually talked about, well, particularly the um, ovulation ninja one, the um, EP2. And you talk about the ovulation induction and you say, look, we just really want to get the dose right to get a single baby because twin pregnancies are not ideal. And when you said that back in episode two, I thought, oh, that's a bit harsh. (laughs) Um, But really, you had complications on your mind, didn't you? Well, yeah, that's kind of my job to try and get things, um, especially with women undergoing ovulation. So let's just uh, clarify. These are um, couples who are having trouble conceiving. And the problem turns out to be the fact that the woman isn't making an egg each month. Mm. If she's capable of making that egg, then usually that couple don't need anything as dramatic as full-on IVF. Usually what we do is treat the woman with some fertility drugs to help her ovaries pick an egg each month and pop it out Mm. and restore monthly ovulation, then she'll usually get pregnant. So um, the trick to that, of course, is to make sure that we can give the right amount of the fertility drug so that we don't overdo it and Mm. give them twins or triplets. And what we've got in mind, sometimes couples who are struggling with their fertility think, I'd love to have twins or triplets, then we'd go from nothing to everything, we'd be fine. But these pregnancies are, are a bit complicated. Twins is not quite as good as having your babies one at a time. And triplets, it can be a real problem. Mm. Yeah. So, you know, to be honest, um, there are plenty of happy outcomes from triplets, but uh, these pregnancies aren't going to term. Babies are coming early and uh, it's not as desirable as having the babies one at a time. Mm. If you get naturally conceived triplets, well, there you go. We'll yeah. just we'll just, we'll just do, manage that. As we'll manage that and yeah. do our best. But have you actually um, delivered triplets? Uh, yes, I have. Yeah, once at the at the Royal Women's. Yeah, yeah wow. So um, you know that these is complicated. Mm. Um, but um, you know, naturally conceived, well, we take our chances. But if we're going to um, give a woman a, a you know a medical treatment that raises her risk of multiple pregnancy, then we need to be careful about doing mm. that. So we use we use supervised ovulation induction where you take the fertility drugs at the start of the month and then we ultrasound the ovaries before ovulation. Mm. And you can see how many follicles, how many egg sacs are coming up on the ovary. And if it looks like there's two or certainly if it looks like there's three, then you cancel the rest of that month. And you abstain. <laughs> yeah, condoms or no sex or whatever for the rest of that month so that those, those eggs can pop out but not be fertilised. Mm. And then you see the woman again the next month and give her less yes. of the medication. Idea being baby's wonder time. Yeah. Mm. So talking about complications, you've mentioned it a few times now, I think we should um, cover it, and that is that twins can come prematurely. Yes. So what's considered full term for a twin pregnancy? Well, I think full term is still considered full term, but realistically, if we get out to about 36 or 37 mm. in a twin pregnancy, 
the situation, if we're lucky enough to get that far, or through good management we've got that far, we might say, well, if we're going to proceed from here, we've got the risks of complications developing and no particular benefit, so let's get on with it. Yeah. And since you've already spilled the peas. <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice. Um, the two peas in the podcast, girls, Mandy and Kate, they do talk about get to know what the special care nursery is and what the NICU is. Yes. And so for those listening who want to find out, we've, we've actually covered a lot of that in episode seven, when your baby comes too early. So I really recommend you go back and have a listen to that as well. Yeah, I think that's a good one for anyone whose baby might be coming too early anyway. Uh, for example, there's some sort of complication and the the team is starting to talk about that baby needing to come early. So as part of the process of getting your mind around that, you go and visit the nursery so you know what where your baby's going to go for a while and what it's going to be like to be there. Mm. And for twins, certainly if there's some growth complications or something like that and there's every chance we might need to get on with it, you know, well within the time frame where the baby would need to go to the nursery, then a visit to the nursery to see what that's like is part of the deal. And if you've had your babies at sort of 36, 37 weeks, are they more likely to go into a NICU or a special care nursery? Well, if we get to 36 or 37, then then very much the special care nursery. Okay, so that's a lower level of care, mostly things like jaundice, feeding difficulties, and minor levels of respiratory support. And do most hospitals have a special care nursery? Yeah. Yeah, most, most hospitals that have babies uh, being born there would have some sort of special care nursery and the, the level of that special care nursery varies and big hospitals can keep babies that are earlier and sicker and smaller hospitals tend to transfer based on the level of expertise they've got there. Mm. And NICUs are for, for very sick or very premature babies with much higher levels of support. And well, let's talk about Melbourne because we know Melbourne. So which hospitals would have a NICU? If any of our babies in Ballarat need um, transfer, either born or about to be born, then we go to the, the big hospitals like Monash, the Mercy Hospital for Women and the Royal Women's, mm. who have um, the, the highest level of, of care for those very premature or very sick babies. Mm. It'd be worthwhile for someone that is um, pregnant with twins to just check out their hospitals and make sure, you know, what level of care they have for Premier babies. Yeah, so you can ask at your hospital in an ordinary antenatal visit what the cutoffs are for your hospital. So they, they might say we can keep any baby that's born over 33 weeks. Yeah. And it's nice to know that figure because you can tuck that figure away in your mind and think, okay, if I get to 33 weeks, I can still have my baby at my hospital in my community Yes. without needing to move. Move, yeah. Go back and listen to episode seven. Um, there's there's lots of gold in there. But are there any other main problems in twin pregnancy that you're concerned with? Yeah, I like to divide these up into the complications that could happen to anyone yeah. that are more common with twin pregnancies. And unfortunately, that's kind of the whole list. Yeah, right. <laughs> okay, so anything. I say to my students, if anyone ever asks you what are the complications of twin pregnancies, it's a trick question. It's just anything. Yeah. So the mum's bigger. She's got more placental hormone on board. She's got a bigger placental mass. And any complication is basically more common. Now, that's not the end of the world. We can manage these things. But if you look at something like gestational diabetes, you're more likely to get it. It's more likely to be difficult to control and you're more likely to need insulin. Well, so be it. We can manage all of that. Uh, something like uh, high blood pressure, you're more likely to get it. You're more likely to need medication to manage it. And you're more likely to develop the complicated form of high blood pressure known as preeclampsia. So that's right. We can manage those things as well. 
sometimes with a twin pregnancy that we're starting to get concerned about, we might even give mum a dose of antenatal steroids, the injections to mature the baby's lungs, so that if the baby does have to be born at 34 weeks on obstetric grounds, then comes out more more like having the lungs of a 36-weeker, and that, that makes those babies go better in the nursery. How long do they have to have steroids for before it actually impacts on the baby, makes the baby's lungs stronger? I work straight away, so you have you have two doses a day apart, you know, one on a Wednesday, one on a Thursday, and even if you had to deliver those babies on a Friday, you'd still get some benefit. Yeah, right. Yeah, and in the days following that, more benefit. Yeah, all right. So, and what about growth problems? Yeah, so they're very common. And so when we're uh, seeing a woman with twins in the antenatal clinic, we're much more likely to do a serial growth scans. Um, you know, when you go to the, the obstetrician if you're pregnant and we measure your tummy with the tape measure? Mm-hmm. Doesn't really work for twins. Yeah, what do you do? Double it? <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, that's right. So the normal ranges are less clear and it's less predictable. You've got two babies in there. You might have one sitting on top of each other yeah. one week next to each other the next week. And it doesn't really, it's not really useful for twins. So that's why we use ultrasound all the time. And, uh, in a perfect world, we'd get the same scanner, the same actual person doing the scan from time to time. That's been shown to help with accuracy. And uh, what we'll often do in the third trimester with twins is, is see that woman every week. Uh, and every second visit, we'll do a growth scan, mm. make sure the babies are good. And on the off visits, a scan to make sure that there's plenty of water around each baby and that the blood is flowing normally down the cord and in through the baby. And I know, I mean, we've got a fancy whiz-bang ultrasound unit in our rooms and, mm. you, and you do ultrasounds. Is that something that you would do or you send off to a sonographer? Yeah, it depends on the situation. Um, I don't commonly do growth scans for twins. It's a bit of a specialised field. Yeah. I've got a really great ultrasound guy who is excellent at that. But, uh, you know, the off weeks when we're, when we're scanning just fluid levels and cord flow, I, I certainly can do those myself. You know, in a public hospital situation, there'll often be a scanner who comes to clinic, ideally, so that um, uh, the same person can keep help keep an eye on high-risk pregnancies, including twins. And so in a public hospital setting, someone with twins, are they just in the high-risk pregnancy group or is there a specific sort of twins group? You're listening to The Kick with Dr. Pat and Bridget. How many times have you Googled something about your pregnancy? When I was pregnant all the time, Dr. Pat. (laughs) We get it. You may be confused or overwhelmed. It's normal to want information, but where's the reliable stuff from experts? Yeah. Now, if you like our podcast, Dr. Pat and I have developed an online program to help guide you through whatever stage of pregnancy you're at. It's taken us literally two years to put it together. Two long, hard years, wasn't it? (laughs) But, you know, it is a game changer in how pregnancy information is given. Now, how it works is uh, you get to sign up at whatever stage of pregnancy you're at. Like, So you could be pre-pregnant in your very early stages of pregnancy, late pregnancy, preparing for birth, or maybe you've just brought your baby home. And you get lots of information around that. And then you also get to join our closed Facebook group. We've called in all our contacts too. So we've got a dietitian, an anaesthetist, physiotherapist. Sonographer. Yeah, who else? A pediatric nurse, obstetrician, mother of four. Oh, just all the people you need to hear from. So if that's you, come and join us at www.growmybaby.com.au. Yeah, good question. In a unit like ours here in Ballarat, we have a high-risk 
uh, clinic and people with pregnancy complications or people we're particularly worried about, and they would be seen by a senior doctor pretty much each visit, um, as well as midwives and other people, but a senior obstetrics doctor being involved each time. And we would put out our twins pretty much in that group. At a big tertiary referral hospital like the Royal Women's, they have a specific multiple pregnancy clinic. Mm. And they're often being sent women who've got complicated problems. Yeah. Like, for example, there's a problem with the growth of the twins, but it's too early to treat that by delivery. Yes. Yeah. So uh, if there's a problem with the growth of the twins at 35 weeks, there's a simple answer, get them out. But 25 weeks, yeah. what do you do? Mm. So a, a twin clinic at a tertiary referral hospital is a way of concentrating expertise in the one place. Mm. Yeah, wow. And, you know, that does bring up some other complications like the possibility of stillbirth. Yeah, well, this is what we're trying to avoid by watching twin pregnancies very closely. There's certainly a higher risk of stillbirth, unfortunately, uh, with twin pregnancies. Um, we get women to um, monitor their fetal movements mm. in the third trimester and we talked elsewhere about how important that is. But when you've got two babies, it's very difficult to tell if they're both moving. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So again, that's why there's more surveillance. And obviously, the whole point of the increased amount of an intensity of antenatal care is to pick up any problem before it results in stillbirth. Mm. When did you say they start having weekly monitoring? Well, as early, yeah, as early as the start of the third trimester. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think that would be kind of like such an anxious time for women carrying twins. Um, I'm sure that there's twin pregnancies where the woman is is going along really well and is having a fabulous pregnancy and yep. doesn't have those kind of worries. But, you know, if you're alerted early, you know, say at 25 weeks or something, there's a, an issue and you're just praying, hoping to get your babies to a point where, you know, they're bigger and stronger to be delivered. Yeah, that's right. And look, a lot of twin pregnancy, especially DCDA ones, go really great. Mm. And those, you know, we're more, no one's happier than us when we see those women go, fantastic, you're going brilliantly, see you next time in clinic. Yeah. And, you know, this is a normal part of nature, but facts speak for themselves that the outcomes aren't as good, so that's what we're trying to get them as good. Mm. Yeah. God, well, you know, <laughs> recently just went to a friend's farm and she's got so many sheep and they, they actually breed use for twins you know so there's a whole paddock of of <laughs> sheep that have twins and they just i was watching one have it and it was just like plop plop two yeah. twins yeah. yeah yeah so that brings us to delivery right okay <laughs> weirdly good <laughs> not not as straightforward yeah. um so you know sometimes um if i'm looking after women with twins they'll say all right so i should have the babies by cesarean section the answer is maybe Mm. Um, there are certainly some reasons why you might want to have those babies by cesarean section and there might be some obstetric or medical reasons. So it's easy to flip it on its head and say, who is suitable for vaginal birth? Mm. Okay. And when I'm going through this with people, I, the number one thing is you have to want it. Mm. Okay. So the woman has to want it. And these days in Australia, if you want to have your twins by cesarean section because you feel that's the safest for you or what you actually want, then these days in that situation, we would say fine and set that up. But of course, there are some people who want to have the twins vaginally if it's safe to do so. Mm. So what makes it safe to do so? Well, the babies have to have reached a certain age, you know, gestational age, where it's safe to have a vaginal birth. Well, the babies will cope with the vaginal yeah, birth. Exactly, yeah, exactly. Right. Because, the, you know, the vaginal birth process is, gives babies a good squeeze on the way out and yeah. they have to be sort of big enough and strong enough to expect to cope well with that. Then the next thing is... 
they need to be of a good size for their gestational age, again, so they'll cope with vaginal birth. And they need to be about the same size as each other. We don't want to have one mm. slip out through a eight centimetre dilated cervix because it's small mm. and then have and the to wait, one. Yeah. wait three hours for the big one. Yes. Yeah. Because yeah. the distance between the two babies being born is important. And then lastly, the presenting twin, the one that's coming out first, really needs to be head first. Head first. Yeah. You couldn't do a breach first. No, no. that would be, yeah, probably more unacceptably risky. Yeah. So if you meet all those criteria, then it's reasonable, very reasonable to have the babies vaginally. Mm. And a lot of people want that and it can be done very safely. But it's not a very uh, it's not a very straightforward process no. either. Yeah. Okay. So again, what we're trying to do is get the outcomes for birth to be as good for twins as they are for singletons. So that involves a fair bit of interfering in, mm. in the in the vaginal birth process especially if it's a woman's first baby. What are we talking now? Well, that's the thing, right? So it involves a fair bit of counselling mm. because historically, uh, before a lot of the modern obstetric um, advances, the problem was for the second twin. With the first baby, if it was head first, tended to dilate up nicely, progress normally, just like you're having one baby. Woman starts pushing pushes the first baby out and that baby's fine. Historically, the problems were chiefly with the second twin mm. where that twin was not in a good position to come out, like sideways. Because mm. all of a sudden it's got all this room. It must just go, wee Well, they can do that, right? Yeah. They, yeah, with all the extra room created by the flatmate moving out, they can... Yeah, get into a difficult to deliver position like yeah. like sideways or back down, and that that's hard. And so, what we try and do is set up a situation whereby we can have the first baby come out in the usual way, and then if the second baby doesn't come out straight away, mm. we can do some things to help that baby come out. And uh, so, basically, the way this is done is that if you're labouring with the intent of having vaginal birth of twins, we like everyone to have an epidural not just for pain relief or anything else, but just so we can interfere if we need to. Mm. And th there's different methods, but I think the ideal way to manage this is to very carefully watch the progress, mm. monitor the two twins, each with their own fetal heart rate trace. Yeah, wow. And then uh, when dilates up, pushes the first baby out, fantastic. Pediatrician has to look at that baby, everything's good. And then we have a look and see what's going on with that second twin. And if the second twin is trying to come down head first mm. and the head is just up there at the dilated cervix, then we might just be able to reach in, break the waters of the second twin, yeah, turn up the drip a little bit to get the contractions back on the boil because they'll often go off the boil after the first baby comes out. And that baby comes out head first and everybody's happy. Yeah. But if when we reach in, we find that that second baby's in a very difficult or dangerous position, then the best thing to do is to reach in, grab that baby by the feet mm. and pull the feet down and have yeah, that wow. baby as a breech. And that's called uh, a breech extraction. Mm, back to the sheep analogy. Yeah, well, that's yeah. what the epidural's for, oh, right? Good, okay. okay, because you don't, you can only do that with a block. Mm. Yeah. So um, these are part of the vaginal birth of twins. And I always think that this is something someone should know about yeah, exactly. before, yeah. before undertaking such a thing. I so. could imagine, I mean, that if you didn't know that beforehand, I would be totally shocked. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So, so this is the counselling process, right? Yeah. To make sure that people know what they're getting in for. Yeah. And the good news is that, you know, if we do it that way, we do it carefully, then then the results are great. Mm. And if someone wants to have their babies vaginally, fantastic. But they'll be looking at intervention on that sort of level. Yes. 
and they have to they have to stack up that and weigh up that versus a cesarean section. Mm. It's less likely to be walk in the park vaginal birth versus cesarean section. Mm. Yeah. And are there complications in a um, cesarean birth for twins? Uh, Look, there's some, there's always possible complications mm. from any operation, cesarean sections and operation, but the fact that it's twins is neither here nor there. It's really, it's really the risks related to having a caesar. Yeah, which we covered in, um, I think that's episode 18 and 19. So, yeah. with um, the modern technique that it's low. Yes. Yeah. yeah. All yeah. right. So I always think that when you compare Caesar versus a complex vaginal birth, if someone wants a Caesar, I never blame them for that. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, if people say, oh, I've I've had a vaginal birth before, or I haven't, but I'm really keen on having these babies vaginally, that's also perfectly reasonable, in my opinion, with an appropriate plan for safety. Yes. Yeah. So we're looking at the size of the baby to begin with. Yep. You know, making sure that they're going to cope with the process of. Contractions, yeah, um, and then we're looking at you know the positioning of of the second twin. Yeah, watch closely and have a plan for the safe delivery of the second twin. Can I just ask how do they monitor each baby in utero independently? Yeah, it's tricky. Mm-hmm. The midwives are very good at this. You need to have uh, you know those. Um, uh, you know, with a CTG, we'll have one strap around the tummy that measures mm. contractions and another strap to measure fetal heartbeat. And then you, with twins, you have a third one that measures the heartbeat of the other baby. Yeah, right. And then uh, on the, and it prints it out on the piece of paper. And twin one will be uh, the first line. And then for twin two, the machine will automatically add 20 beats per minute to twin two so that the lines are separated on the piece of paper. Mm. Otherwise, the lines are going to be on top of each other and you wouldn't be able to interpret them. So if it looks like one twin's going too fast, I always trick the medical students with this. I say, why aren't I worried about that that second twin having a uh, a heart rate that's too too fast? But the answer is the machine's just added 20 for convenience. Oh, I'm I'm thinking, oh, I don't know the answer to that. (laughs) I would fail. (laughs) You don't have to, but they should. Yeah. Oh, dear. I'm going to throw it in there, but is there ever triplet uh, vaginal births? Over the history of the world, many? Yes. In modern obstetrics, no. Yeah. Okay. The, the, the risks are not, are not worth it. Yeah. If you stack up the relatively minor and controllable risks of a cesarean section mm. versus the enormous complexity of a vaginal birth of triplets, mm. then it would come out in favour of a caesar every time. Yeah. And in my view, with twins, it's about equal. Mm. Yeah. All right. So we've had the babies and, uh, you know, they may have come early it's reasonable to expect some women have to stay in or, the, you know, the babies are staying in, the woman has to stay in for a little bit, but it's also reasonable to um, think that maybe she's going, the mother's going home before the twins or one of the twins. Yeah, that can be a, that can be a thing, which is kind of sad, sad day. Yeah. yeah. But um, a lot of hospitals have got a facility for the mum to move off the ward after three or four days and into some sort of accommodation. Yeah. Or, you know, as with a lot of our patients here in Ballarat, they live nearby anyway. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And can spend all day every day in the nursery with the babies, but go home to sleep. Yeah. And how long the babies need to stay in the nursery, it all depends what's what's going on. Yeah. How early did they come? Have they developed any new complications? Yeah. Yeah. But um, uh, it's not rare for stays of many weeks or months or, yeah, well. or more. And, you know, the very earliest babies maybe three months. Mm. So the sort of things that, that might need to go in the, in the nursery would be those lights that treat jaundice, respiratory support, um, and um, feeding issues. Mm. Yeah. So that as well as just the fact that there's two babies, these, these twin mums are going to have to um, have a lot of support, aren't they? Absolutely. Yeah. So what do you think the best sort of support for these mums are? 
Yeah, such a good question. I think we need to be doing as much as we can and I think we need to probably anticipate problems and even if people seem to be going fine, we probably need to be setting stuff up so that when the next thing happens and the next thing happens, mm. they're well supported. So I think the typical things that a hospital might have, like a perinatal mental health support, are mm. uh, if you have one baby at full term, you might only want to use that support if you're really running into troubles. And I think if you've got premature twins, you should be referred to that service regardless. Regardless, yeah. yeah. Just even a um, touch base, a baseline. Yeah. yeah. So even the most mentally healthy person in the world would find premature twins in the nursery when you've gone home to be a really mm. difficult situation. Mm. So there's that. And then there are the twin groups. Yeah. And they're fantastic. So this is these are groups um, that usually have a, a boss or a moderator, but the rest of the group is other people with twins. Yes. And awesomely, people who've had twins who have grown up. Or, yeah, or, and still are so attached or so, you know, know that they can really help. Yeah, they come back to the group newbies. and they tell people stuff from mm. the benefit of their experience. And these are these are fantastic. And yeah. and that does lead us to our um, very special guests. <laughs> I'm going to say we've been sent a recording by Mandy and Kate and they're the women behind Two Peas in a Podcast. Now, we started listening to this just on a recommendation of one of our friends, Kate, Kate gave it to us and she's, you know, she's our age. She's well and truly, um, her kids are in their teens. She doesn't have twins. She doesn't have twins. <laughs> but, but they're hilarious. They're, yeah. So, yeah. And she said, you have to listen to Mandy and Kate. And so we started listening and, and went, hey, this, this is really gold for our listeners as well. So... They've rocketed up the charts too. Yeah, they're fantastic. So so it's it's lots of terrific stuff about parenting in general, but specifically twins, about kids with special needs. Mm. And it's delivered with a lot of comedy and a lot of humanity. Yes, yeah. They're real gigglers. It's good. So we're going to leave you with uh, Mandy and Kate talking about the things that they wish they had have known. Take a listen. And uh, don't forget, if you haven't subscribed to our podcast, please do so. Refer a friend. We love it when people say, oh, you know, we, we heard your podcast because a friend told us to listen. And we just love it. So um, until next week, keep well. All the best. Hi there, it's Kate here. Hi, it's Mandy and we're two peas in a podcast. We sure are, but today we're on a different podcast. So thank you, Dr. Pat and Bridget, for inviting us. Yes, it was lovely. Yeah, so we're going to talk about um, some of the things that we wish we had have known when we were pregnant with our twins. Yes, so Mandy and I both have twins. If you've heard our podcast, you'll know all that. If you haven't, great, you can scoot over and have a listen. Yeah, come to two peas, T-double-O. T-double-O. I have fraternal girls. And I have identical boys. Um, and we... Had them premature, yes, um, all that sort of stuff. So take it away, Kate, with our okay. number one tip. So our number one tip or thing that we wished that we'd known is that your babies might be born preterm or, yeah, preterm. Yeah. So very few twins that I know got to 38 weeks, 36 weeks, I think. Yeah. I mean, Dr. Pat will know more, is yeah. considered term for twins. But even at 36 weeks, you probably will go to special care nursery for a little bit. Um, and so you maybe just need to try and get your head around the fact that you may not take your babies home. Yeah, and you might you might even bring one home before the other one. Yeah, that's and right. I remember someone telling me that and I was like, what? Yeah. But I think it's really something to kind of really yeah. pay attention to so that it doesn't surprise you if yes. it does happen. Because it's still a really traumatic, grieving, painful time. But if you've got a few of those thoughts in your mind, maybe it's a little bit easier. Yeah, maybe then the shock. Yeah, and yep. then maybe... 
briefly read up about what a NICU is and what a special care nursery is. And the difference. Yes. And the the hospital you're going to and whether they have those. Yes, that's right. And what happens if your baby's born early, you know, all of that. Like what, where will you go at your hospital? Is there a... Yeah, and ask your doctor that or your nurse. Yeah. Yeah. So those things I think are super important actually. Yeah, definitely. Especially coming when we've been out the other side. Yeah, that's right. So So number two... um, the birth might be taken out of your hands. So in terms of thinking about what sort of birth you would want, I mean, I'm not saying it will be, but it may be. Mm. So I suppose, you know, they're usually it's a high-risk pregnancy. Yep. So um, I, I suppose just trying to have an open mind about getting those babies out yeah, however you, however you can yep. is the best way for yep. them, okay? Yep. And, yeah, yep. so, so just so, uh, uh, yeah. Mandy had a vaginal birth. Yep. I had a zipper. Either yeah. way. That's right. Yeah. That we our babies were out. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah, and it's it is scary at the time, but a few years down the track, you're just so glad you've got your babies. Yeah. In. Yeah. yeah so, definitely. Yeah. yeah. So, um, the third thing that I wished I someone had told me from the beginning of pregnancy up until I don't know when they were two, accept every offer of help. <laughs> Everything. <laughs> Everything. And when someone goes, can I help you? Just have this little mental list, put it on your phone. Actually, yes. Um, could you pick up my dry cleaning? Could you pick up my child from my other child from kinder? Could you maybe drop around some soup? I know that your mum makes, yeah. you know, biscuits. We'd love those. People do want to help and so accept it. Yes. Yeah. And I'm happy if someone says, this is the help I need. I'm like, oh, good. Great. Now I know. That's yeah. how I can help them. Yeah. Yeah. And yep. two babies is a lot it's of It's really something. <laughs> it really is. And you really got your hands full. You really do. Yeah. And, and I felt outnumbered. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I remember when I had people coming and helping and then when they left crying, thinking, I'm on my own now. Yes. How am I going to do this with these two people? Yes. But eventually you do do all right. You do do it. it. You yeah. will be fine. You will be fine. So that's kind of good to know as well. Yeah. Yeah. And you'll just cry a lot, but that's okay. You know, um, yeah, you will. So. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. And the other thing, I, the fourth thing I wanted to yep. say is don't worry about any sleep routines, nope. um, particularly for those, you know who you are, um, <laughs> A-type people. Up for the first six weeks, it does not matter how your baby goes to sleep, babies, how they get to sleep, how yep. they get back to sleep, yep. just survive it. That's the yeah. only job you have to do is to survive those first six weeks. Yep. And then after that, if you're up for some routine, that's a time to slowly start a bit of self-settling if yep. you want to. So I just want you to wipe any worry about sleeping yeah. and setting up bad routines for the first six if weeks. It's sl- garbage. Yeah, if they're on Nana. Doesn't matter. Let them sleep. It means you can go put, to the toilet. I put one on my mum, one on my mother-in-law, and I went to bed. Yeah. And I did not care. No, it doesn't matter. So, um, And Mandy knows. I am a sleep consultant. Yeah, so she so knows So just, this. I know. And so find me afterwards if you need help. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Mandy knows. She, she knows. knows. <laughs> she settled a lot of twins. I have settled a lot of twins. Yes. So, and it means nothing in those first couple of weeks. No, nah, but she got mine to sleep, so that was yeah, pretty awesome. So just, yeah, so um, just try and just concentrate on your feeding, establishing yep. your breast feeding or, um, you know, getting used to formula, EBM, body expressing, uh, so much expressing. There's so much else to do in those six weeks. There really is. might have a sore fanny. I don't know how much we can say on this. I know. (laughs) I feel like we're doing a whole podcast. (laughs) Oh, you might have a cesarean scar and you will be exhausted. So let those babies I had a hemorrhage after them. I had to have them go and have a curette. Like, you know, all sorts of stuff flares up. So just don't worry about that in the first six weeks. Sleep when you can. Yeah, that's right. And day turns into night, turns into day. It doesn't matter. No, it doesn't matter. 
Yeah. No. So anyway, you can do it. We yep. did it. Yep, you can do it. And we're here for you to listen to any time you need. Yep, we've got uh, pregnancy and first year or special care NICU episodes. Yep, we do. If you need them, I'm sure that you're hearing lots on this podcast as well. So, yeah. 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 Anyway. Come and find us. Yeah. Okay. And thank you, thank you for having us on. Yeah, thank you. We appreciate it. <laughs> bye, okay, everyone. Bye.